Well, good morning, LifePoint Online, Westerville. So good to uh, be able to share with you this morning, and uh, just excited about what God is doing uh, across all of our campuses at LifePoint. My name's Kyle Connell. I serve as the college and young adult pastor at our Lewis Center campus, and I had the privilege to, uh, to share God's Word uh, Sunday at LifePoint Westerville, and man, just what a privilege to worship there um, together on Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you guys that are watching as well. As you know, we're in a series in the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we've had the opportunity to read the book of Luke together, which was amazing. I hope that you were able to do that, and uh, that that developed some good habits of just staying in the Word and, and having devotional time with God. And now we're praying through uh, the Gospel of Luke, specifically Luke 10.2, at 10.02 in the morning, uh, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. God, therefore, pray earnestly that God would send people into this harvest field. And so that's, that's a prayer that we're praying together, which is exciting, uh, just looking at opportunities to where we can get into the labor, into the harvest field and be laborers for God and, and share, people, share the gospel. So today we're in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. If you have a Bible, I hope you do. If you'll go ahead and be turning there, Luke chapter 10. This will be a popular passage, I'm sure, for several of you that are watching online. Uh, this parable of the Good Samaritan. And so I want to ask you just to kind of think, maybe throw out the things that you know about this, the things that you've heard, and just maybe think about it from a new lens, and uh, just allow God to speak to you this morning. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25, let's jump in. He says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is a great question, right? This is a great question. But here's the catch. He's doing this. It even says he stood up to put him to the test. He's trying to trap Jesus. He's got wrong motives here in asking this question, right? Kind of a bad attitude. He's hoping that, that maybe Jesus will say something that offends the people or worse yet, says something that gets him put into jail. Um, you know, so it, it's done with the wrong motives. Also, just notice it says the lawyer stood up. This is not like an attorney that we might, might think of today. This is more of... Uh, an expert in the law, a scribe, maybe think seminary student or even a pastor, someone that just knows the Bible really well. Here's the problem with this. He knows the Bible really well, but he misses the entire point of the Bible, right? Because he asked the question, what must I do? This is a, this is a question that a lot of uh, religions ask. This is a popular worldview. What must I do to inherit eternal life, right? This works-based mentality. And it's the wrong question. He misses the whole point because the point of the gospel has nothing to do with us. It's about what Christ has already done. And the expert in the law, he would know the Bible. I mean, it was his job to know the Bible. He's probably even, in fact, sat in underneath of Jesus's teaching. Uh, just prior to this in, in Luke chapter 10, into chapter 9, that Jesus sends out the 72 and to go in and, and tell people about Jesus. He would have been familiar with this, right? He would have been around. So he he has the right information, but that doesn't cause heart transformation. The only thing that causes the transformation is a relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus asks this question back, verse 26. He says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And so the expert replies, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus says back, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So again, we recognize this verse, you, this expert in the law, he would have known 
these verses, that this is a popular passage, reference to Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 6, uh, 4 through 7, where it's known as the Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then it goes on and says that you should teach this to your children. And so again, fathers, parents, we should be teaching this to our children. What does it look like to love God with all that we have, with all that we are? And, and this expert in the law would have known that. He would have known the reference to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, where, where the Bible says that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so he pulls these two things together, these, this great commandment that we love God with all that we have and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. But here's a reality to this. It's impossible. It's literally impossible to fulfill the great commandment, right? Why? Because Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So in reality, this call to love God with all that we are, it's something that we strive for. Now, God has called us to holiness. We're, we're to live in a way that we love God with every piece of being that we are, everything that we are, and yet it's impossible to get there. And so even if you, say for example, you started today and you lived the rest of your life in purity, in, in holiness, that you loved God with all that you are, everything that you have, you gave to hurts and all these things. What about the past? What do you do with, with prior to today? The sins, the th we've got to have that relationship with Christ. Only Christ can do those. So the question, what must I do? It's not a right question, right? It's about transformation. It's about loving God so much that Tim Keller says this, love God so much that he dominates your solitude. There's this idea that if you're standing on a corner, uh, just standing even in your backyard and just waiting, nothingness, right? Just standing there. Are you thinking about God? Do you care more about pleasing God than anything else in your life? Do you love him with everything? It's, it's not making a list that I want to have, that I want to love God and I want to do these things. No, God is the paper that you're writing your list on. Everything is surrounded by God. See, the reality is a follower of Christ should have fruit in their life. And the Bible talks about this all throughout the Bible. John 15, they will know, know you by your fruit. There's that old song, by our love for, for king and country. They will know we are Christians by our love. By our love, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We have to show that example. And there's, there's a great illustration of uh, two apple trees, right? Say, say you plant two apple trees in your yard and they start to grow and then it comes time for them to bloom, right? And here it is, the summertime, and you look out and man, there's this tree, you look out your window and there's just apples all over it. And you can just go out and pick these apples off and man, they taste so good. They're just delicious, right? And then you look at the tree that's right beside it that you plant at the same time and it's just dead. It's dead. There's no apples on it at all. Two trees, right, with very different results. And here's the reality. The fruit doesn't give you life, but it does show that you have life. So without the fruit, it's dead. With the fruit, it's alive. It's delicious. And that's, that's what God wants from us. He wants us to live for him, to be what? A good neighbor, right? So let's, let's keep going in this, to love our neighbor with no condition. Listen, this is, this is important. Love your neighbor is not a condition of salvation, but a fruit of it, right? Again, love, love your neighbor is not a condition of salvation, 
but it's a fruit of it. We're going to see this as we move forward. How do, how do we love our neighbors? So he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, verse 29, and who is my neighbor? So it's kind of like this, uh-oh, right? Okay, here's the answer. Love God with all that you have. And Jesus says, that's right, do it. And then he's like, oh, snap, how am I going to do it? So he tries to justify doing as little as possible. He tries to, to limit the bar, if you will. So he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with this parable of the Good Samaritan in verse 30 through 37. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Let me, let me just reference this. This is a real road, right? In, in all actuality, 17 miles from, Jer- from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a drop of about 3,000 feet in elevation. It would have had rocky outcroppings, places for robbers to hide, and they would have come out. It was kind of known back then as the bloody road because this is a reality. This is a normal road. This is something that would have been traveled on a regular basis. And it got me thinking about that this week. What makes me kind of wonder, what are the normal roads in our life? Uh, The 23, the 71, the 270s. What are the restaurants that we go to on a regular basis? Or the coffee shops that we frequent where we see the same baristas over and over and over? Uh, The office cubicle that we work in? Places that we go regularly where we don't have eyes to see the God-ordained divine appointments that he's placed before us. These are everyday places that he has placed, that God has placed precisely for us as a representative of the gospel. How often do we miss those places, right? He wants to use you in those places to share the good news of his great love and forgiveness, whether it's in your neighborhood or in your office, at the ball fields, in your schools. We miss those a lot, don't we? Just got me thinking, a man... Verse 30, man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. He stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Verse 36, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So here's what we see. Two religious leaders pass by, the priest and the Levite. We give them a hard time a lot, right? Because you think priest, you're kind of thinking he's going to do the right thing. He should do the right thing. The reality is the priest was, we need to cut him some slack. The priest was probably on his way back from Jerusalem to Jericho after being cleansed so that he could come back and perform some of his religious duties. And knowing that if he touched an unclean person, a half-dead man, then he was going to have to go back to Jerusalem, start the whole process over again. This could take days. And, and it would have been and a very much an inconvenience and a hardship, and so he passes by on the other side. The Levite, basically a JV priest, if you will, he probably sees the priest as he's following, maybe three or four miles behind even. He could see the priest walk by on the other side. I think in his mind, he's just thinking, let me follow the leader, and uh, I'm just going to go around to the other side. And, and I think if your religion is an excuse for not loving people that Jesus died for, then, then you're missing it. You're doing it all wrong. Right, Because God so loved the world that he gave us his son. And, and then the hero comes, the Samaritan. 
right? And, and you, can, you can just hear the gas in the crowd when Jesus says this because the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't like each other. And that's saying it like, lightly. They really hated each other, willing to kill each other. There's a long history there. You can search that out later, do some history, but there was just this long history of hatred and dislike. And we see that a lot in our world today. There's still a lot of hatred, a lot of dislike. And, and so when, when the hero comes as this most unlikely of people, the Samaritan, you can just imagine that, that, that they're not even right. I mean, look back in verse 37, the expert said to him, when Jesus asked, who's your neighbor? He says, the one who showed him mercy. He can't even say the name of what he is. That's how much dislike and hatred there is, right? And so the last person they expected to be the hero is the Samaritan. But the Samaritan does three things that I want us to see this morning. Number one, he saw a need. He saw a need. His eyes were open. He was aware of the situation. He would have known that this, was, that this could inconvenience him. He would have known that there's a possibility by him stopping that he's going to be robbed himself, beaten himself. Right? But he sees the need around him, right, where the, where the priests and the Levite are like, man, we're out of here. He doesn't. He stops. He sees the need, and he chooses to meet it, right, which is number two. He's moved with compassion. He sees the need, and he's moved with compassion. In verse 33, he says he, uh, a Samaritan journey, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. The Greek word here, this is one of my favorite Greek words, um, in the Bible, and I don't really know a lot, but this is one of my favorites, compassion. It's this word splogitsamai, splogitsamai. Say that, say it with the people in your room uh, that you're watching this with, splogitsamai. It's, it's this idea of from the gut. It's an emotion that's uncontrollable. The way that you love your kids, no matter what they do, even if it's irritating or frustrating, you just know that you love them. There's a compassion for them, right? And, and, and that's what we see Jesus when he uh, talks about finding the sheep without a shepherd or the widow uh, that Jesus is moved to compassion, the person with leprosy or the rich young ruler where Jesus is moved with compassion, a, a showing of love, uh, just true compassion. And so the, the Samaritan, he, he sees the need, he's moved with compassion, and then he what? Number three, he acted. He acted. He, he met the need even at great cost to himself. This would have been an inconvenience for him, right? I mean, we see that in the passage. He says, here's two denarii, which is about two days' worth of pay. It would have covered about two months in a, in a hotel room. And he says, listen, if this doesn't cover it, then I'll pay, them, pay even more when I come back. In other words, signifying that this is not the most convenient. I've got things I have to do, but here he is. I'm going to go around, right? But no matter what the excuse, we, we have those. We come up with excuses all the time. He's, this is not... My people, and he, he did this to himself. I don't have time. This is going to cost me money I don't want to spend, right? And yet here's, a, here's the Samaritan who's the example that we're supposed to follow, right? And he sees a need, and he goes, and he meets the need. It says in verse 34 that when he saw him, he went to him. He went to him. It's Galatians 6, 2, that we bear one another's burdens, that we get involved, right? And, and C.S. Lewis says that we give more than you think you can spare. Give until it hurts. Give until it's painful. When is the last time that you love like this? That you love for nothing in return? That you helped a stranger or someone that you didn't know? It reminds me of a story. I, I was able to spend 
a couple weeks ago, was able to spend a week at camp, Centrikid, with our third through fifth graders. And, uh, man, it was a blast. We had a great time. We've got some phenomenal uh, LifePoint kids, directors and leaders. It's such a joy to, to partner with them and to see them just invest in them and show love. But um, I had the opportunity to talk to some of our volunteers, and I was talking to this one lady, and uh, she was telling me about her husband and that he had started this business and was really trying to use it to, to show Christ and to share the gospel with people. And, and he had a coworker come to him not long ago that said, man, I'm not not going to be able to work here anymore. And the guy's like, what? Why? I mean, this kid's a hard worker, does what he's supposed to do, and, you know, just works hard, does the right thing. But come to find out, he just didn't have a transportation. He didn't have a way to get to work. And so he's just basically saying, I'm going to have to stop. So this boss is like, man, I need, to, I need to get this kid a bike so that he can get to work. And so he says, I'm going to reach out on Facebook and just see if by chance somebody says, hey, I'll I'll, I'll get this kid a bike almost instantly, pretty quickly. He gets a response from a guy that says, um, you know, that he doesn't know, that says, man, I'm a, I want to get this kid a bike. And he's like, this would be awesome. So he's telling his wife, and they're both like, man, what an opportunity to share Jesus with the guy who's buying the bike. It's this act of compassion. He saw a need, right? He was moved, and he acted. He's buying this kid a bike, and the, and they're talking about how when the, when the guy brings the bike over that he's going to share Jesus with them and talk about the love and the love of Christ. And, and so this guy, they make arrangements to show up. The guy shows up with the bike. And before the boss can jump into his gospel presentation, the guy who brings the bike jumps into his gospel invitation and is like, listen, man, what a great thing that you're doing, wanting to get this bike. I go to Life Point Church, and I want to tell you about Jesus and, and how much he loves you and has compassion for you. And they look at, end up, they look at, they both go to Life Point Church. The whole goal for both of them was to share Jesus with each other, right? That, that's what it's all about. You see a need, and you act on it. You have compassion, right? And they did that. And so this guy, he takes the bike, and he gives it to this employee, and the employee's like, man, what? thanks, man, you don't have to buy me a bike. And he's like, I didn't buy you a bike. Some random guy got you this bike. He saw a need. He had compassion. And man, he's telling him about this compassion. And now this kid who gets the bike, he wants to come to church and he's interested in learning more about the Bible and about who God is. And man, just what a cool opportunity. What a unique opportunity that came strictly from just being obedience. He's, they, these guys saw a need. They were moved and they acted. And that's what God wants from us, right? It's this idea of an attitude change, right? That no matter what the cost is to us, we act. I think, I think about the Samaritan when he sees this guy laying on the ground, that I think what he's thinking in his mind is, what if that was me? When so often, I think what we do is we say, I'm so glad that's not me. It's a different perspective. we got to change our attitude. No matter what the cost, no matter what it does to our schedule, if it doesn't fit in, no matter how much money it is, right, we've got to be willing to interrupt our schedule and, and go and help, just like the Samaritan, to be uncomfortable, to let somebody use our car, or to pay for somebody's hotel. Be inconvenienced for the sake of your neighbor. Here's a great definition of love that I read as I was preparing that it says, putting others' needs above your own at extreme cost to yourself. Putting others' needs above your own at extreme cost to yourself. Listen, the Samaritan saw the need, he was moved, and he acted. 
Does that sound like someone else? Come ring a bell that they saw a need, removed and acted. What if, what if the good Samaritan is Jesus and you're the one on the road? Isn't that the reality? Jesus puts himself in the path of danger. He took upon himself the suffering that we deserved, right? He poured out his life for us. Jesus, in essence, is is asking the man, what if you're bleeding to death on the road and your only hope was an act of free grace from someone who didn't owe you anything? That's what Jesus did for us, right? Jesus took the wrath of sin on his own body. He suffered on the Damascus road. He was beaten, spit at, bruised, crown of thorns put on his head. He was nailed to a cross. He took the weight of sin on his own body. He paid the price. He stepped in so that we could have eternal life. And he offers that eternal life today to us. Right? We, we looked earlier at Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It goes on in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 to say that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price so that we didn't have to. He's that good Samaritan who comes along. What if after you've been rescued like that, wouldn't your life look different? God has called us to love our neighbor as ourself. You see, Jesus is not giving the lawyer a new rule as much as he's making him aware of a new reality. Jesus loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you that you could have eternal life. That's the original question, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? You don't have to do anything. Jesus did it all when he died on the cross for you. God wants you to put your faith in him, to put your trust in him. In Romans chapter 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. God wants that. He wants you to have a relationship with him. Listen, it begs the question here at the end, have you really experienced the gospel if you're not willing to sacrifice for others? We need to sacrifice for others. It's about this heart change. Pray with me. Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging, Lord, our sin, acknowledging our fault. Lord, recognizing that we need a Savior. And Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross that we might have eternal life. God, I'm thankful for an example, a story like today, where we can see from this good Samaritan that he saw the need, that he moved on it, that he had compassion, and that he acted. Lord, challenge us, encourage us this week, again, on that normal path, that normal road that we're on. Help us to be aware of the people that we see that we're around on a regular basis that are hurting, that need hope, that need encouragement, that need the gospel, that maybe just need a word of prayer. And God, help us to not have blinders on, but to keep our eyes open, to be willing to step in and go and help them, to share Jesus with them, whatever it requires. Father, we thank you for uh, the example that we have in Christ. Help us to live out the fruit in our lives 
as we go forward this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us online this morning. I hope that you have a fantastic week and look forward to worshiping with you again soon. God bless you.